Hello, everybody. It is awesome to see you this morning. Um, I'm so happy uh, that we have another time to worship the Lord and to study His Word together. Uh, I've been very happy to be able to get together with uh, several people this week, um, which leads me to kind of announcement, uh, but more just continuing an announcement that we talked about last week, which was that our vision right now, our plan right now, uh, we don't know uh, when we're going to be able to get back together in person. We don't know when church is going to open up, um, especially with all that is going on in the world right now. Um, but we do uh, love you and uh, we want to make sure uh, that we are connecting with you. So I know I've been inviting uh, several people over last week, this week, uh, to our home and several other people in the church uh, have been have already started getting together with people. And I want to encourage you uh, that the church has never stopped. Nothing is wrong with us meeting in homes. In the book of Acts, they went from home to home, just being the church and loving on each other, talking about Jesus, getting in the word together, um, praying for each other. Uh, that is what is all about. So uh, I'm I want us to, to know that, that there's nothing stopping us from doing that. Um, obviously, we want everyone to be careful and to be safe. Uh, so if you are compromised and if you don't want to get uh, sick and, and that's something concerned, then do Zoom meetings or connect with people another way or, uh, you know, text people or call people or even, you know, get together with people, but with social distancing in mind. Um, so I want to encourage you guys to do that. Uh, and, and really think about getting together with people uh, from the church and, and anybody in this world. Um, as we're watching the news and as we're seeing what is going on in the world, um, it is more apparent than ever that we need Jesus and his love uh, so much. Um, when we start making decisions based on uh, what we want or, or we want things to change or how, how um, we could get things done, uh, it generally... Uh, goes up in flames. And as we see in the world right now, uh, there's a whole lot of rebellion against uh, Jesus and, and, and violence in different ways. And it's just not okay. Uh, and the hatred and, and all the stuff that we're seeing kind of explode right now, it's, it's stuff that's been in people's hearts forever. Uh, it's been in our hearts. And the only solution for heart change is meeting Jesus falling on your knees before him and, and surrendering life to him, having his spirit make us new again. So um, with all that's going on in the world, I think we should spend a few moments in prayer and getting our hearts ready uh, to meet with Jesus again this morning. So um, let's pray. Father, mankind has... has never really changed. Uh, ever since the garden, we have been trying to do our own thing. And God, I pray that you would come back soon, that you would be doing work in the hearts of your church. I pray that we, as your church, would be a light in this dark world, a light of love, a light of forgiveness and patience, and we would have one constant message, Jesus, and that would be that you can save, that you can forgive, that you can restore, that you can make friends who were enemies and you can um, create love where there was only hate. 
God, I pray that you would um, you would use us. God, I pray that in our part of the world, uh, it hasn't, you know, there's not as many riots as in other parts of the world. And um, things are kind of calm here in this neighborhood. Uh, but Lord, I know that, that very close to us, there's um, people that we know and care about that are really concerned and worried today. And I ask that you would protect uh, innocent people and that you would uh, stand up for those who need your protection. And in all this, Lord, I pray that we would have soft hearts. I pray that we would be patient and slow to speak, slow to anger. And I pray that we would be full of your spirit. We need you. When we try to think of our own solutions to any of the problems in the world today, it doesn't work. But if we surrender to you, if we choose to follow you in your way, God, you have made promises that will never be broken. So help us, Lord, to live by your spirit, by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today we're going to be studying the book of Mark again. We're in chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 31. And today's sermon is called Possessed by Possessions. Or obsessed with Jesus. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is a question. Uh, it's something in philosophy they call the human condition. Uh, and I remember in all the philosophy classes I took, and and even before that, maybe even as early as fifth grade, we talked a lot about the human condition. And the human condition is a simple set of questions that um, that kind of defines. Uh, a lot about you and and your place in this world. Questions like, who am I? Uh, why am I here? How do I live a good life? What is my purpose for living? And where will I go when I die? These questions um, are extremely important and powerful uh, thing to think about because the way that we answer these questions takes us down a road um, in our life. And this road is either going to lead us to heaven or to hell. It's either going to lead us uh, down, uh, you know, to God and, and, and seeing his blessings or away from God and not experiencing the blessings that he has intended for us. These, the way we answer these questions will lead us to Jesus or away from Jesus. So today we are going to meet a very nice young man uh, who is thinking about the human condition. He is thinking about heaven and he's thinking about hell and he's thinking about, am I going to go to heaven or, or what is the deal with this? And he is going to, he wants to get some answers. And so he's going to go straight to Jesus. Okay. He wants to find the way to go. He wants to find his reason for life. He wants to learn why. And above all, he really just wants to know that he's going to go to heaven when he dies. These are all vital questions for this young man. These are, these are great questions. These are the right questions that everyone should ask. And, and this guy is lucky enough that he goes to the right man for the answers. But there's a problem. 
we were going to find out that he doesn't like the answers that he's given. He closes his heart to the answers. He refuses to accept the answer. Um, so again, these questions of who am I and why am I here and how do I live a good life and what is my purpose for living and where am I going to go when I die? Jesus is going to thoroughly answer these questions today. But the question, we are kind of going to be in the same boat as this rich young ruler today. Are we going to accept the answers that Jesus gives? If we do, it will be because we listened last week. I want to remind you, last week, Jesus talked about the children. And he talked about how to receive the kingdom of heaven, how to receive his answers, how to receive his help and his grace. And he said, the only way this is going to happen for you is if you do it like a child. If you become like a child, which means... Are you going to become humble and dependent? Little children are humble and they are dependent. They don't think they can do it on their own. And they instinctively trust those in their life who are trying to help them. And those two attributes are going to be how we today are going to be able to receive the answers that Jesus is going to give to us today for our condition that we are in. Uh, so humility and faith with Jesus. The, I like to, to say it this way. If you can respond, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I trust you. That is humility and faith. So if we take these two lessons together, what we learned last week about humility and faith and that attitude of what Jesus can bless and how we can receive that kingdom. And then today's lesson about uh, Jesus's answer of the way that we can um, know him and, and serve him and follow him and, and go to heaven. If we can take those two lessons together, we're going to be just fine. So let's look now at these at this uh, text that we, the story that we have before us in Mark chapter ten, verse seventeen. We start out. It says, "Now, as he was going out on the road, so Jesus is just getting ready to leave. One came running." And knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? If you have your Bible and you have a pen or a highlighter, highlight those two words, I do. You'll see why here in just a minute. So we see that Jesus was just about to leave and this nice young man, urgently runs to him and, and he respectfully lays out his issue, his question before the Lord. He wants to go to heaven, very simply. He wants to be good with God. He wants to have peace with God. He wants to gain eternal life, uh, which you could say is the life of God and a life that is with God or connected with God or, or you know, uh, serving God. But he doesn't know how it works, okay? This young man, he doesn't know how it works. And that is clear by the way he asks his question. So look again at his question. He says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What shall I do? 
okay? When you know the gospel deep in your heart, these words will sting in your heart because you know there is nothing you can do. You know you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. That is the whole principle of the gospel. The good news that Jesus came to give us was that you can't do it, but I will do it for you. You can't earn it, but I will earn it on your behalf and I will give it to you for free. This is a core truth of the Bible. Men are completely incapable of saving themselves. It's impossible. It's more impossible than Michael Jordan jumping to the moon or me dunking a basketball. Completely impossible. Men cannot save themselves. No religion, no good deed, no heroic act, no philosophy, no political party. If you do it, it's not going to work. That is very simple. And so this, this man already has a, has a messed up way of thinking. He thinks there's something he can do. And he wants to know what that thing is. And he's coming to Jesus. Tell me the thing. Tell me the thing. And Jesus is about to help him understand that his whole premise is messed up. He cannot do anything. No matter what Jesus were to ask him to do, he would fail. And that is just the truth. He says, again, he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He's saying, Jesus, I want to earn my salvation. I want to earn it and I'm willing to do anything needed to get it. So what do I need to do? It's the wrong question. The first question of how do I get to heaven? It's in there. It's mixed in there. But he has a a premise, a presupposition that he is capable, that he is able. And that's what Jesus is about to help him with right now. You see, in all the religions of the world, they can be categorized into two different boxes or categories. One being religions that say do something. And in the other is one religion that says everything is done. So there's do something religious, religions, or there is done religions. And you cannot tell which one is which by the name on the outside of the door. It's, it's what they put their hope and their trust in. In many religions, most religions, it's in a man, in what we do. There's something you got to do, whether it's keep these rules or... Um, follow this this leader or pledge your allegiance. There's something you have to do in all these different religions in order to earn your salvation. But there's one religion and it's followers of Jesus Christ called Christians, real Christians. And this religion says everything was done. Christianity is a done religion. Everything was accomplished by Jesus on our behalf. Jesus isn't going to tell this guy he needs to do anything 
He's going to give him a command. He's going to give him, but it's not so that he can earn his, his, his salvation. It's to open his eyes, okay? Because having a list of things to do is not the way that Jesus is actually establishing or bringing to the world. There is nothing this man can do. Uh, but Jesus, in his perfect brilliance, okay, he is going to show him the flaw in his thinking, okay, um, by giving him a command. And you're gonna, we're going to see. This guy isn't quite as willing as he says he is to do everything that God may ask of him. So look at verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Okay, so remember, this guy's question was, Good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? That I can go to heaven and be saved. Jesus says, Immediately, he doesn't answer his question directly. He's correcting his thinking. He says, why are you calling me good? Check this out, okay? Jesus, or excuse me, Jews didn't call anybody good except um, God. The, only, the reason why they didn't call anybody a good person was because no one really was good if you compare them to God. And that's true. No one is really good. Not in the absolute sense of the word. You know, we, if you go and ask someone on the street, are you a good person? You're going to hear a lot of, yes, I'm a good person. But according to what standard? And, and so we ask, okay, well, have, have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stole? And the answer to those questions is going to be yes for every single person out there. And so we're going to say, then why would you call yourself good? If you've lied, if you've stolen, if you've cheated, if you've hated any of these things, we cannot be good anymore once we have done any of those things. And all of us are guilty of doing those things. So nobody is good. So the only one who is good enough to be called good is God. He's the only one. And Jesus is, is making a very clear point to this young man. He's saying there is only one who is good enough for heaven, and that's God. The young ruler, he doesn't see that yet. He doesn't see that the impossibility of man being good. But Jesus knows it really clearly. Man cannot be good because man has broken God's laws and commands. Once you have broken a law... You are a lawbreaker. We call that a sinner. And that is, is just doesn't go away magically. You are that. This young man who's talking to Jesus, he's blind to the reality of how deep sin lives in the heart of hearts, in the internal man. He's unaware of his own condition. And even though he knows he needs saved, he doesn't know how much he needs to be saved. This rich young ruler, we're going to find out, is a good man by the standards of that day, but not according to the standards of God. When, if we compare him or us or any person to the standards of God, every human being in history falls short except for Jesus Christ himself. 
And the problem isn't that God's standards are too high. I know some, some, you know, clever people are thinking, okay, well, why doesn't God just change, lower the standard a little bit to get the top tier people to get, at least let those people get into heaven. That would be great, you know, because they've, they've, you know, they're good enough, okay? But that's, that can't happen. We just stink at being good people, really good people. We can't do it. We're not good people. Even the top tier people fall well short of God's perfect holy standard. And if God were to lower his standard a little bit, he would cease to be holy. And holiness, he can't, he can't stop being holy. He just is holy. He is perfect in every way. He is right in all that he does. We know right and wrong because it's what he is. So he cannot stop being holy. It's just what he is. And so that standard can't change. So the problem is that we need to be saved. Jesus doesn't wait for a response with our friend here. He goes right in to prove his point. He says in verse 19, look at it. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. Here Jesus, he throws out all the commandments that deal with how we should treat other people. But he leaves out one or two very, very important ones for now, and we're going to see why in just a minute. Look at verse 20. And this young man, he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And, and, you know, some commentators are like, ah, this guy is just lying. And, and maybe he's lying. Maybe he's broken a few of them. But maybe it's true. Maybe this guy, um, you know, did in an external sense keep all of these commandments. Maybe he didn't kill anybody. Maybe he didn't steal. Maybe he didn't commit adultery. Maybe he didn't lie. Maybe he didn't covet. Maybe he didn't, you know, maybe he did honor his father and mother. Those, when you think about it, like just, Keeping the rule might be possible for us to do. He had really tried to do what was right. He had done his best. I don't doubt that he had done his best. He had put forth effort, man. He had striven, strived to keep God's commands. But it doesn't matter. Because Jesus knows he's not good. Because Jesus knows the heart. And sin isn't all measured by what we do on the outside. Sin is also measured in the heart. And that's where the problem is. Jesus sees the sin. Just like in the past, Jesus said, if you, you know, don't think that you haven't committed adultery just because you haven't slept with someone. Adultery happens in the heart. And you're guilty of adultery if you've just pondered and thought about lusting after another person. No matter how hard this man has tried to do what was right, no matter how much he wanted to please God, he fell short. And our question now is why? How did he fall short? Well, Jesus is going to show us the truth and the way right here. We know uh, Jesus in, in John says, I am the way and the truth. Watch what Jesus does here. He's going to show this guy 
the way, and the truth all in one clever, amazing way. Look what he says in verse 21. And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. What a beautiful, beautiful sentence. And said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus truly and tenderly loves this this young man. And like a wonderful doctor, Jesus diagnoses the fatal issue, the fatal sickness that this young man has. He takes him all the way back to the first commandment. Now think, what was the first commandment? I wish I could see you all squirming in your, in your uh, seats trying to remember what the first commandment was, um, but I'll let you off the hook today only. The first commandment was, have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. God says, I must be your God. I must be the most important thing in the world to you. Nothing else can be more important to you in your heart than God. That's the first commandment. This young man, he did okay following all the other commandments externally, but all that got him was a false sense of security and confidence in himself. When the first commandment, he was breaking every day without fail, and he was calloused. He, he was blind. He didn't even know that's what was happening. But Jesus, because he loved him, Jesus opens his eyes to what was really going on. He was breaking the first commandment. He's saying, hey, you, you strive to do good with men. You, you do try, but you have rejected God. And that's a big problem. God must be your God. He must be your everything. You must value nothing over him. You must, or excuse me, he must rule without challenge in your heart. That's the first, that's the standard of the law. That's what God expects of human beings. This is the perfect original plan you were made to do this, and you don't do it, Mr. Man. Jesus knew that this young man had an idol. Anything that we put above God in our heart, in our life, is called an idol. And this young man had an idol. He had a love that he valued so much in his heart, and that was his possessions, his money, he valued it. And Jesus knew that he, he loved his possessions more than he loved God. And Jesus just so easily, so, so gently but firmly calls him right out on the carpet and says, Hey, I'm going to show you your problem. Watch. Give up everything to follow me, to follow God. And he, as you, as you know, he's not going to be able to do that. 
So by asking him to sell everything he has, Jesus reveals the sin that was hidden from this man's own eyes. Jesus extracted it like poison is drawn from a wound. And Jesus is generously, this is the, this is the amazing thing. Listen, if, if you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this. Jesus is generously offering himself to be the substitute of what would be missing in this guy's life. He says, sell everything and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And you will have everything. Jesus is lovingly offering himself to make up for everything we think we may miss out on by leaving everything behind to follow him. Jesus is saying, I am worth it. I am worth it. I love you and I am worth it. Follow me. I will reward you more than wealth could ever give you. I am more exciting than any, anything you spend your time on. I am more worth it than any of it. I am God. I'm the source of all joy, of all peace, of all value. It's me. Everything that you like in the world is just a dim reflection, a dim shadow of what I could truly be for you. That's what Jesus says. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt me. Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in possessions or your stuff or your plans or anything else. Trust in me alone, Jesus says. Don't trust in an idol. Only in me. In turning our backs on idols and things we trust in, we become like little children. We become simple, we become humble, and we become dependent. Kids sometimes are able to just drop their toy when something better comes along. And Jesus is asking us sometimes, just drop what you have in your hands and follow me. Simply with humility and faith. I know what's best for you. You think that these possessions are a benefit to your life, but they're not. They're not more valuable than me. And if anything is getting in the way between you and me, Sell it. Get rid of it. This is a call to discipleship. Jesus is inviting this young man to become one of his disciples. This is what it means when we're saved and then we become one of his disciples. He is our everything. So you can ask yourself right now, Am I going to heaven? Well, we could talk about that. Do you believe Jesus was your substitute? Do you, have, do you have that faith in him? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Great. But are you following him as his disciple? That is just as important of a question. Every saved 
child of God should be his disciple as well. Is he our everything? Is he our Lord and Savior? Is he our only hope? Is he our only plan every day? Is he our only prayer? Or do we have things that we hold on to? Even ideas, even things like safety, security, comfort, popularity, relationships. All these things can be idols. And Jesus, I don't know what he's dealing with you in your heart on, but I know in my heart he's dealing with me. Let everything go and follow him. It could be your marriage. It could be your kids. It could be your possessions. Each one is there to teach us to trust in Jesus alone, not in ourselves, not in our own goodness. So how does this make you feel? Well, let's look at what happens in verse 22. This young man, it says, but he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful. He had great, for he had great possessions. If you choose to believe in Jesus, to trust him alone, and to leave everything behind and follow him, you won't regret it. But if you keep your idols, if you keep your own goodness and stubbornly hold on to your own way, you will be sad. You will be depressed. And that is just the way it works. It's the way God designed it. He didn't want you to be satisfied with these silly little things. No matter what makes you happy, it's not enough. You know, in life, uh, I've heard C.S. Lewis say this as well as John Piper talk about it. It's not that we desire too much to make us happy. It's, what, it's that we desire too little. God is bigger than all the stuff we think will make us happy. And he says, just give everything else up for me and you'll see. If we stubbornly hold on to our own way and our own things, we're going to find ourselves separated from Jesus and realize that we were the ones who left him and not the other way around. You notice this young man ran to Jesus. He bowed down before him. He asked him and Jesus answered him. And Jesus said, we're here, come to me. And this young man left Jesus. Not the other way around. Jesus did not leave him. Jesus loved him. But this young man could not accept the answer because this young man had an idol he wouldn't give up. This young man did not want to obey the first command, have no other gods before me. Idols never truly satisfy. Money, houses, relationships, jobs, Jesus must be our only concern. We must be willing to give up any and all for his will. His love compels us to do this. Continuing on, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Now listen, Jesus does not say this because riches are evil. He says this because our hearts are evil and we are self-sufficient and 
we choose to trust in idols. And when you're rich, you have an abundance of idols and you have easy access to lots of idols. And back then, if you were rich, people believed you were blessed. So there was even a cultural acceptance of being rich as being good. Jesus was not condemning wealth or condemning or commending poverty. This is a call. This is not a call to an ascetic lifestyle or being a monk, you know, or, you know, a nun or something like that. The point is simply this wealth and possessions breed self-sufficiency and confidence in ourselves because we have access to a lot of stuff. Self-sufficiency will keep us from Jesus, which will keep us from heaven, both in the future and experiencing heaven's life and blessings in this world, in this life. The disciples are shocked by this. They are having a hard time believing it. So Jesus uses some humor to get the point across. Instead of yelling at them and saying, you guys should be understanding, he uses a joke. And I love that about him. Look what he says. Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus uses a humorous hyperbole, an exaggeration to make a point. And then look what they say. And they were greatly astonished, saying amongst themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So Jesus tells them this, this funny illustration of trying to squish a giant camel, you know, humps and all through the eye of a needle. And it's just ridiculous. It's, it's just so funny. And these guys are kindly, finally getting the point. And the point is, who could do that? Who would even want to do it? It would be a bloody mess. It would be disgusting. It would be pointless. Who then could or would want to do it? And that's his point. No one, no one can get saved by their own strength or goodness. But God can save anybody. That's the point. No one can do it themselves, but God has no problem doing it for us. So he says, so come to God for your salvation. Don't try to do it yourself through your wealth, possessions, striving, ability, anything that is yours. Just come to God and it's free and it's easier than you think. With men, it's due. Who could do that? With men, with God, it's done. With men, it's do something. With God, it's done done. I love that. So verse 28, then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you that there, uh, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. So Peter actually kind of clarifies what he's learning right here. He's like, Jesus, you're, you're teaching us that we must only trust in you, and we need to leave everything behind. Well, 
we're, we're doing that, right, Jesus? And Jesus responds, yes, yes, Peter, you're doing a great job. You are going to find everything you ever wanted with me. I know you've left it all behind to follow me. And that's it. Follow me by faith and you're going to find, you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. I will reward you. I will be your reward and you will not lose out. It is so crazy to think that God would ask his child to lose out, to miss out. No, he wants you to have the fullness of joy. He wants you to have the abundant life. He has promised it to you. It's not a dream. It's not a pipe dream. It's yours now by faith and through relationship with Jesus Christ. He is all that you will ever want or need or desire. Christ is teaching us today that he himself will make up for every loss we ever have by following him. And yes, sometimes he asks you to sell something that is very dear to you, to give up something that you don't think you can live without. But I promise you, he himself sees it and he will make up for it. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And after he was a missionary for 50 years working in China, and as people from the outside would call him poor and having suffered a lot, he said, I never made a sacrifice. But following Christ was my joy and he provided everything for me that I ever needed. I like how Warren Wiersbe put it. He said to the general public, the rich young ruler stood first and the poor disciples stood last. But God saw things from, a, from, from the perspective of eternity that the first become last while the last become first, that those who are first in their own eyes will be last in God's eyes. But those who are last in their own eyes, I'm not going to do my own will, will be rewarded first. And this is an encouragement to all who are true disciples of Jesus. Are you a true disciple? Are you willing to give up everything to follow him, to do his will? This uh, nice guy, this rich young ruler, was not saved, and he did not follow Jesus. And he's about 30 years old, and I want you to see that there's some similarities as we just close this up. There were some similarities and some differences between Jesus and this rich young ruler. They were both rulers, okay? This rich young guy was a ruler. We find out in another account of this story. And they were both rich. But Jesus left his riches behind in heaven to become poor and to become the servant, the perfect servant of God, the Messiah. And we've seen that that's been the theme of this whole book, that Mark shows that Jesus is the perfect servant. He's the Messiah, and that's his job. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Leave it all behind to follow and serve God. That's what Jesus did. That's what this guy refuses to do. This man can't do it. What are you going to do?
Are you going to leave behind everything to follow Christ, to be his disciple, or not? Tim Keller, he's a pastor of a church in New York City. He summarizes like this. He says, the heart of the gospel is about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. The center of Christianity is always migrating away from power and wealth and success. I love that. Jesus is asking this rich young ruler today, I want you you to imagine your life with no money, with no fame, with nothing except me. Am I enough? Is Jesus plus nothing, everything for you? Does it, is he your everything? A disciple of Jesus says, yes, he is everything to me. And it's sad that many people claim to be disciples of Christ, but they don't choose to give up everything for him. I'm not saying that you need to sell everything and live homeless on the streets. That's not the point. The point is our hearts trust in many other things. And God can point out to you the thing that you do not want to give up to follow Jesus. You know, that's funny. When someone says, I'm going to come to God, but I don't want him to call me to Africa. And it's funny because a lot of times we see that that person gets called to Africa, right? Because God has a way of pointing out to us the one thing that is the idol that we don't want to give up. Whether it was a huge bumblebee, sorry. Whether it's your safety, your security, or relationship, or anything. It could be anything. Now listen, I've heard a lot of pastors preach a lot of sermons that say, give up everything to follow Jesus. And I always had this skeptical um, attitude in my heart because that pastor doesn't know me. So I don't like him telling me what I need to do. Okay, I get it. So I'm not going to, sorry, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But when Jesus asks me to give up something, that's a totally different story. And today I hope that you have met with Jesus, that you have heard his voice in your heart saying, this is a thing that's an idol for you and it needs to go. I will not share the kingdom of your heart with any other ruler. I must be the ruler because I'm the only one that loves you. I'm telling you guys, your idols don't love you. They don't. And no matter what they're offering you, it's a lie. And it's, it's just not as good as what Jesus will give you. And Jesus is promising you and offering himself to be your substitute for what you would give up. So I don't want you to hear my voice saying, give up this, that, or the other. I want you to get alone with Jesus. Ask him to show you what idols you may have. And then I encourage you, give him those idols. 
Say, I don't want them anymore. He is faithful to come and pick them up because he loves you and he is calling you and asking you to be his disciple. That's our time in the word today. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you have a, a, a voice that can speak into my heart more than any man. And Lord, I pray that it help me to know and to, to be able to discern when I have an idol, when I'm holding on to it. I pray you give me wisdom to see what I'm turning to when I should be turning to you, when I should be following you, when I should be listening to you. What else am I doing? And Lord, that would surely be an idol. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be freed from all these things. I pray we'd sell them. I pray that you'd cut them off with the sword of your spirit so that we could be your disciples in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.